I was kind of hoping to come and um, kind of preach to myself. Um, I love I love Michael Jackson. I, I, I don't know. He's um he's quite a guy in the sense that um, every song that he, he came out with was quite apt and very deep and meaningful, like you know, black and white and. Man in the mirror. I, I don't think <laughs> I don't think he had a very good mirror though, because he should have looked very hard at himself to see that there were some things a bit wrong, you know. But actually, this morning is about a man in the mirror kind of thing, meaning that I'm, I've actually come to, in a, in a lot of ways, speak to myself. But those of you that are here, you're like uh, eavesdropping, you know, through the window, hearing me talk to myself. But whatever I said this morning, I hope it will be a blessing to you as you leave. Um, I don't normally believe in this sort of tackling messages because then it kind of keeps me bound and I can't, you know, digress, you know. But I was kind of pulled to give it a title. And I've titled this message, A Jealous God. And, um, you know, jealousy is, is, is a very um, strange word. In fact, it, it, in many cultures, we see jealousy as, as an extreme form of emotion. And um, in some cultures, I think it's actually frowned on, you know, to show, uh, I think it's the Japanese, they have this thing of not showing any emotion. So jealousy is, is like an extreme, you don't really show that. But I, I was looking at the definition, I was pl- planning this um, message, I was looking at the definition of, of, of jealousy, and it had two very important um, definitions. One was a mental uneasiness from suspicion or fear of rivalry or unfaithfulness. And this has got to do with love. But also, it talks about a, a vigilance in maintaining or guarding something. I wanted to bear those two definitions in mind because they play, it's quite important that we understand from which premises I'm actually talking about jealousy. Now, in Africa, uh, there's a joke about this Nigerian girl that, um, I hope you can get African jokes. <laughs> this Nigerian little girl You know, in Nigeria we have this thing of uh, We don't have coin boxes, you know We have um, Mobile phone centers Where you can go and call Somebody on another mobile phone Like if you don't have a mobile phone So the mom sent her with 20 naira to go and call the dad at work And when she got to the, mobile, to the place And she dialed the dad's number And it rang and rang and rang And Nobody picked it. She, she went home and to tell the mom, Mom, I called daddy's phone and it rang and rang and rang and one auntie picked the phone. And the mother was like, what do you mean by that? Yes, mommy, one auntie picked the phone. And he said that my daddy was not around. So the mother was like, you know how African women are, she tied her, her wrap around, you know, she was there waiting. Let this man come back. Let this man come back today. 
And the guy came back and she pounced on him by the neck. Which woman were you with that was picking my, your phone? I was trying to strangle. The guy was like, which woman? I wasn't with anybody. I was just on my own. And they started quarreling and there was noise. Everybody was screaming. So the neighbors came. They said, what is the problem? The woman said, this man has got a, a woman that picked his mobile phone. And So the neighbors said, okay, let's ask the girl exactly what happened. So they asked the girl, so what happened? She said, I, I called my daddy. And, and a, a lady's voice picked the phone. And they asked, what did the lady's voice say? And the little girl said, it says, the owner of this mobile phone is not available. Please call it. <laughs> so, so obviously, the girl picked her, um, the action service. But the woman was jealous because... She loved her husband and she felt that relationship was worth fighting for. And so it was, in a way, she was kind of staking her claim on the ownership of her husband's love and affection. But on the flip side, I don't know, if you guys watch Tyler Perry, it's a, it's a black American movie maker. He does a lot of movies around um, young African Americans that, you know, how their life turns out. And his latest movie is called uh, Good Deeds. And uh, about this young guy, Walter, whose dad is very rich, had a girlfriend he wanted to marry. And one evening, uh, the girl looked on his pillow, there's a black guy, and he finds a blonde head. And the girl said, Walter, what is a blonde head doing on your pillow? And, you know, Walter was like, I don't know. So the girl was like, you know, in a casual way said, um... Where's marriage? He had a, uh, a lady that comes to clean up. But the guy was like, um, are you accusing me of having an affair? And she's like, oh, no, Walter, you, no, you, no. Walter, you can't have an affair. I know it, it must be from the cleaners, you know. And Walter was like, why would you expect that I wouldn't have an affair? Like, you're, you're predictable, you know. I could set my time, you know, with your, your, your routine, you know. I know what you're doing at work. I know when you go for tea. I know everything about you. And the, husband, the guy, the boyfriend was very, very sad because this is a woman he was planning to marry. And of course, that led to the end of the relationship. But um, a man's jealousy is aroused when there is a threat to usurp his position in his wife's life. The same thing with a woman. Uh, I think it was St. Augustine that said that if you have never been jealous, then you have never been in love. Jealousy is a, it's a, it's a language of love. But how do we relate this to God? In the book of Exodus um, chapter 20, if you could please go with me. And I'm going to read just a couple of, about two uh, verses from it. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. And it continues to the point where it says, um, uh, it says, I have the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God. Punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But 
showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Isn't our God good? Now, God had called the children of Israel as a chosen people. Had a plan from the way back, from the beginning of of, uh, creation of the earth, up till their enslavement in, in Egypt. And he had called his people out as his own. And he had given them these laws to actually govern how they live, but also to show that these are my own people, called apart for me, chosen for my own purpose, not for anybody else's sake, but for mine. They were his people. And because of that, he guarded them jealously. And he gave them laws that will make them only do one thing, and that is to focus on him. And the Bible talks about God's love in, in so many ways. I don't know, I don't know if you have read the Songs of Solomon. I read it to my wife sometimes because uh, it's the most romantic book in the Bible. <laughs> it's brilliant. In fact, uh, I think some people that write love stories, sometimes they peep into Songs of Solomon, you know, to get ideas. <laughs> but also in the book of uh, Zechariah, uh, I think it's um, 2, Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 8, God talks about the fact that we are the apple of his eye. You know, and some, some Bible translations call it the, the pupil of his eye. You know, the pupil of the eye is like the right center of the eye. You can't touch it. The eye does everything to protect that part of it. Of it. And that tells you how precious we are in God's sight. God will not share his, your affection with anything. And what it means is that His passion, his boundless love for us demands the same equal passion and boundless love from us. And so, if you look at the children of Israel, God had a right to demand that they worship only him and to demand that they seek only him. Because if you look at, first of all, he was the creator of all things. He is the, the maker. The, the, he spoke all things into being. And really, they don't really have a choice, do they? I mean, I can, the, the created always worships the creator. That's the way it should be. And also, he had a covenant with them. He had a bond tie with them that was sealed in blood in Egypt. And they agreed to that covenant. It wasn't by force. And then lastly, he delivered them out of slavery, out of bondage, out of a life of perpetual servitude, into this beautiful land. I love the way the children of his, the, the 12 guys that were sent, 12 spies that were sent into, the, um, into Canaan, and how excited that they were, you know. They came back and said it was a land flowing with milk and honey. Think about where they came from and where God was taking them to. So he had done a great and mighty work for them. So he did have a right of rulership and kingship over them. And so, jealousy is God's way of saying, you are mine. I have made you my own. I have claimed you. And because of that, I will do whatever it takes to protect you. I will do whatever it takes 
to make sure that you do not miss that which I have in store for you. All that I've planned and purpose for you, I would do whatever it takes to make sure that you get it. Even if it means making you uncomfortable sometimes. And so, God is jealous over his, his deity, his Godhead, the fact that he is God, all supreme, all knowing, eternal, outside of time. He is the only God. Apart from him, there is no other God. And he wanted the children of Israel to know that. But also this morning, he wants you to know that. That he is all supreme. There is no other God but him. Now, the world, as we know, has spent a lot of energy and time trying to disprove this point. The deity and the supremacy of God. They've come up with the theories of evolution. They've come up with uh, atheism. They've come up with so many different things for one purpose, to disprove this particular point. But we're not really going to, I'm not going to talk about the world right now because we know that the devil rules the world and he has control of everything that happens in that world. Those that serve the world live according to the devil's plans. But this morning, what I want to talk about is the fact that I myself, I struggle with many little gods that I create in my life. And these little gods begin to act as stumbling blocks for me so that I find it difficult to see the true God, the all-knowing and all-powerful God. I have discovered that pride elevates self as a God. Pride says that I am me, look at me, I am the best, you know, I, I love uh, when, whenever this guy, what's his name, Bolt, wins a, a, a race, you know, you could see that there's so much about himself, you know, it's, it's about me, you know, look at me, I am it, this is, the box stops here, you know, and he does that his sign, you know, and people are like, I don't see anything wrong with that except that when that becomes that which controls your whole life, then there is a problem. I also have seen that covetousness elevates money as a God. When we look, seek things for its own purpose, I know, I will not lie, I'm a gadget man. Ask my wife, I love gadgets. In fact, my best mate when it comes to gadgets is uh, Leslie. Because he is my, my pally when it comes to um, talking about new technology, new ways of doing things, which is better, iPad or uh, Samsung, you know. I love all those things. But when seeking those things becomes my primary goal, when my life goal is dictated by how much of those things that I acquire, and those things actually become an idol in my life. And I, I kind of lose sight of who God is. I've also found out that fashion, girls, and how many of you believe in retail therapy here? Ladies. <laughs> I know my wife sometimes does do retail therapy. I don't, I don't, I don't like shopping, really. I don't like shops. I'm a man. <laughs> Men don't like shopping. 
of fashion, the latest fashion, the, 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 the in thing can become an idol, a god in your life, and you focus your whole time and effort on it. Something is fame and intelligence. You've all heard about this Stephen Hawking, so, yeah, who thinks that he's such an intelligent man that, you know, he knows everything about creation, he knows everything about how the world came about, and how could there be a God? How could there ever? I'm an intelligent man, and I know that there can be a God because I said so. But I, I'd like to see that guy, you know, I'd like to be a fly on the wall when he gets to heaven, you know? Just to hear the banter between him and God and hear him try to ex- explain himself away, you know. Be a nice, interesting thing to hear. So intelligence can actually become an idol. Husbands, don't let your wife become a goddess in your life to the extent that they control virtually everything that you do and make it actually impossible for you to follow the path that God has planned out for you. You are the priest in your household. It is your job to control that which God has given you, not control as an overlord, but as a direction um, provider, as the man that steers the family in the right direction. Do not allow your wife to become such a goddess that she will actually supersede God in your life. And wives, the same thing. Don't let fear and respect for your husband make you, uh, make things difficult for you to actually serve God. And this is the most important part. Do not let your children become little gods and goddesses. Idols that you worship. Oh, you can't speak, you can't speak harshly to him. Could damage his future. You can't raise your voice at him. I find being in the UK, one of the most challenging things I've found in this country is the fact that I struggle to be firm with my kids. And then I'm African, and, and firmness, I tell people that when a child commits a crime, not a crime as crime, but when a child does something wrong, when they, <laughs> when the hand, when the hand of correction meets the seat of disobedience, Then, the child does what is right. <laughs> Don't let your children run you like a job. And, and they dictate what happens in your household. And you can't do anything because you're trying to blend in with what is happening here. Remember, you are in the world, but you are not of the world. The Bible says that teach your children the, the, the right way to go when they're young. And I promise you one thing, they will definitely follow the right path. Because not only are you teaching them the right thing, you are sucking them in prayer. And God is merciful. He, is, he knows that those children are being trained for his purpose in the future. He would direct them, he would teach them the right way to go. And don't think that the correction you give your kids don't go in. It does. I'm a teacher, I know. The kids, they tell me, you know, my mom thinks that I don't hear everything she says. I do. So do not, don't stop. Continue to do whatever that you're doing to provide a safe heaven for your children to grow in God. Amen. And so, 
God is jealous over his sovereignty. Now, God rules over his creation. We are his subjects. We, we, we are God's creation. And his rulership is absolute. I know that there the devil does control what happens in the world sometimes. But God has never left the seat. He is still in control of what happens in the, on earth. He might allow some things, but that is his will. It's not like he has, not, he has lost control. So we are under this rulership of a God that is all-knowing, all-powerful, and sovereign. And Spurgeon puts it this way. He says that every time, the only thing that raises its head above the sovereignty of God is rebellion. And what is the one way that we show rebellion? Sin. Disobedience. As Spurgeon says that every time we sin, we do as much as say, I do not acknowledge God to be my sovereign. I will do as I please. Each time we speak an ill word, we, re- we are really saying, my tongue is my own. God is not Lord over my lips. Yes, and every time the human heart wanders after evil and lusts for that which is forbidden, it attempts to, to disenthrone God and to set up the evil one in its place. So the, the language of sin is, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? I will not have God reign over me. So sin is an abject refusal of God's instruction. I think one of the worst part is when we know better. Now, if somebody sins out of omission, that is easy to understand. But when you know better, when you know the right thing to do, and you choose to disobey, it raises an, a jealous and intimate, not anger, but a desire to correct from God. I know we've been preaching about grace, but let me tell you one thing. God is still on the throne. He is a judging God, and he will judge his people. So an, an, an absolute turnaround from his will and say, I don't want to listen to what he's saying. I want to do my own thing. It's, it's like saying, you know what? I do not recognize you as my Lord and Savior. I do not believe that Christ died on the cross for me. And that is what sin is. Unfortunately, we're not perfect. None of us are. But thank God for the grace of God. And that's where forgiveness comes in. And repentance. See, God is... How many of you have read the book of Hosea? It's a very difficult book to read. I struggle reading Hosea because... I think Hosea got the short end of his stick. He, first of all, he, he gets told to go and marry a prostitute. I know some of you guys are thinking, ah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. God will have to really speak very loudly <laughs> for me to do that. He goes and marries a prostitute. And not only did he marry a prostitute, she left him another man. And in Hosea 3, verse 3, God says, you know what? Go bring her back and love her and treat her nice. 
and speak words of love to her and encourage her not to run away to another man. But God was merely using Hosea as a symbolic gesture of how he sees his children, Israel. That though they have gone away and worshipped many gods and done all that he had told them not to do, he was still willing to call them back, to draw them back and make them his own. What manner of God is this? I still cannot understand the depth of God's forgiveness. If, I mean, it leaves me sometimes completely broken when I think of how many times I have done unmentionable things, thought horrible things, and God still forgives me. And that is where there's that struggle, that dichotomy. A God that judges and a God that is graceful and merciful. But I do know one thing. That when Christ was asked how many times do we forgive those that wrong us? And he said, 70 times? Seven times. In other words, Christ didn't want to say, oh, you never stop. He just wanted them to kind of, you know, go and be counting. I've forgiven you once, twice, three times. And you keep marking them off. But all he was trying to say is that you continue to forgive because that is how your Father in Heaven is. That is God's heart. He will always forgive because that is His nature. So though we do sin, but God is merciful. But what God, I believe that God will stand against is a life that is turned against Him, away from Him, and refusing to actually acknowledge the fact that you have done wrong. But I also believe that when we live according to God's will, then moment by moment, He begins to guide our footsteps. It is possible. You know, someone was asking, but how can we be perfect? And I remember Aunt's message on being perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. But it is not about perfection. It's about being matured in the things of God. It's about being set apart. It's about knowing that you are a child of God. And that God has you completely covered. You are like this person that's been removed and placed in this place. And God loves and, and all he wants to do is to bring you back to where he is when you die. That knowledge alone is meant to keep us focused on Christ and on heaven and nothing else. Paul talks about running the race. Tell you one thing. If we do know how deeply God loves us and how jealous he is for our life and, and, our, and everything about us, I'll tell you one thing. You say, Bolt will not be able to beat us as we run this race to heaven. Because we will run and not look back. We will run with our eyes focused at the mark that Christ has set for us. We will run knowing that every single one of us can be a winner. Because it's a race that we run individually on our own. I don't know if you know this guy, it's John Bonyan. Bunyan. John Bunyan, 
uh, finished preaching one morning, and one guy said, you know, you, you preached really well today. And John said, uh, you're too late. The devil told me that as I left the pulpit. See, God is jealous over his glory. He is. I find that the glory of God, my second son is actually named the glory of God because of all that happened in his life when he was born. And I believe that he, as he grows, that he will give glory to God. It is easy to take credit from God for the things that he's done. We do that all the time. I mean, think, look at all the, all the Nigerian pastors. I mean, if you know some of them. <laughs> I remember Tamar was about to come and uh, carry my Bible, you know, bring me coffee, and make sure that my chair, I don't sit on no chair, I've got to sit on a chair made of gold, you know. Every day, pastors raise themselves up and forget that they are creations with a very, very jealous God who will not share his glory with anybody. My country, you get pastors when they want to do um, programs. They have billboards. They don't do, we don't do little pamphlets. No, they have billboards, like size, with the pastor's face, you know? Yeah. And it tells you, evangelist, professor, doctor, uh, whatever, is coming to town. You've got to be there. And of course, there are people that chase that kind of glory. And they go. Oh, he's going to this place. They take a flight and they go there. Oh, he's going to be in, in uh, London. And they come to London. Just following the glory of one man. But one thing I do understand is this. That every single person that has raised his head, his or her head, above the knowledge of Christ and above the glory of God, God has humbled a lot of them. He will not share his glory. This morning, worship this morning was amazing. And I knew, knowing my heart, that God knows that all glory went to him this morning. See, God desires that everything that he does in our lives, the miracles, the healing, the provisions, it's for one purpose, that you advertise who he is. He's a God of supply. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of healing. So everything that does, that happens in your life, turns people, not to you, but to him. And so when you get that promotion at work, don't sit down and feel, yeah, it's because of my goodness, you know. They recognize that I'm a hard worker and I've done everything right. No, it is because of the glory and the grace of God. So you give him glory, not quietly, but publicly, because that is what shows the world who he is. So when that healing comes, you lift his name up and you thank him publicly. See, the things that God does in our lives are vehicles that carry the glory of God. And so your life becomes almost like um, uh, a gospel on its own. 
without you speaking any words. Because people will wonder, what is it about this person? Not like you're a millionaire. No. But everything that works, they are good. They retrench people, they get a better job. They are in a motor accident. Nobody gets hurt because of them. God does things because he wants you to understand that his glory is what advertises him to the world. And when the world sees his glory, they marvel and they are attracted to him. Not to you or to the things that you say, but to him, the maker of all things. Amen. And lastly, before I end, God is jealous over his people, you and I. God is, oh, I wish you could understand the heart of God when it comes to you and how much he desires your trust. He doesn't want you putting your trust in man or in your intelligence or in your strength or even in the strength of others. He wants you to trust him because he's faithful, he's kind. He knows you before you were born. He's planned out your life in such a wonderful way. So trusting him really is the safest choice. I used to tell my students when they asked me about God, I said, look, who knows a building more than everybody else? And I said, uh, the guy that designed it? Yes, because the guy has got something that nobody else has. What is that thing called? And I said, uh, the blueprint. Yes, the blueprint gives you the internal workings of a particular structure or building. In fact, the blueprint is often not given out by architects. They keep, sometimes they keep the blueprint because the building is their creation and they don't want people duplicating it. And God has the blueprint of your life in his hands. He knew you before you were conceived, before you were even a thought. He's predisposed, he's pre-planned everything that will bring goodness and love and grace to your life. Isn't it safer then and more um, wonderful to seek him who knows you more than you know yourself? And God is jealous over the time you spend with him. I know we've, we this country has a way of making that very difficult. I mean, if you struggle with spending time, you know, finding time with God, you know, because there's so much that is happening here. I pity the children, because the, the, the teenagers, because they're the worst affected. Society has them in their sight. Everybody is geared towards them. Television adverts, magazines, uh, music, Movies, it's geared at these young people to get their attention, to keep them focused on them so that they see nothing else. And so young people have a difficult time removing themselves from all those attractions. Things were a lot easier when we were young because we didn't really have a lot of uh, uh, things that we are drawing our attention from God, we had books, we had television sometimes, 
we had comics. I was brilliant. I think comics was the greatest creation ever. <laughs> but we didn't have the amount of pressure that young people have today. And so, mothers and fathers, I tell you this. Pray for your children. Pray that God will keep them focused on him. Pray that they develop strength to be able to extricate themselves from all that the, the world is trying to impose on them at school, at home, and out there in the world. But ourselves also. The job makes so much demand on you. You get home from work, you're tired. You'd like to, all the things that you want to do, you know, play the guitar, uh, 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 worship with your children, uh, read your Bible, all the wonderful things that you know that will make your work with God richer, that will make your life a whole lot better. You struggle with because of the way the world is geared, this society is geared. The worst one is Sundays. All sporting activities are done on Sundays. And so parents have got to balance my child's dreams and my desire to be with the people of God. And so, and that brings me to my final point. And that is, you are precious to God. He is jealous over you. Jealous to the point that he did not hesitate to give up the most precious position that he has, his only son, for your sake. Give up Christ because of one thing. Because he knew he had to make a way. He knew that on your own, you will fail. And we do fail time and time again. But because of Christ, because of the love that God showed through Christ, we now have this wonderful opportunity to become like the children of Israel, a called out people, a holy nation, a people completely set apart for the glory of God. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? So in response, what do we do then if we know that this God is so passionately jealous over us? What do we do? Do we respond? Or do we say, yeah, we know, we've heard. Or do we say, you know what? I know I don't have the strength of God, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, I will raise my passion and my jealousy over God's word and his work in my life. That I become jealous over his gospel. To see it move into different places. At work, in my children's life, out there in the world, to do something to make sure that the kingdom of God comes to earth. I will become jealous for the kingdom of God to come. So this morning, I hope I haven't bored you a lot, but I pray that in your hearts right now, that God is raising a passion, a desire to do something. A desire to say, you know what? I cannot believe that the love of God for me is this deep 
And that God loves me so much that he is willing to, to uh, fight, defend, protect, do whatever it takes to keep me to himself. What does that make me then? I am the most treasured possession that God has. And I pray this morning that you begin to see yourself as so. Now you begin to allow God to take control. Allow him to take roots. To dig a deep well of life, of the kingdom of God in your life. You begin to show this by the way you approach his gospel and his word.